Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever noticed when somebody is going through a really hard time, uh, one of the things they might say is, boy, life is just heavy right now. That the, the cares, the concerns, the stress, the burden, and let's just face it, it can absolutely weigh us down. And we can even, even in our daily uh, walking to and from places can just feel slower and, and more difficult. Uh, I, I've shared somewhat uh, an analogy like this with you before, but I've loaded up my backpack, and I think it's, it's uh, relevant to our passage today, and I've loaded up my backpack with just various, various weights and concerns that we all might have. So this one is uh, school. Um, for those of you who might be in school, you know school can sometimes uh, be a burden for those parents who have all of a sudden become teachers at home and IT professionals and all that. Uh, boy, school is, is really a, a juggle. Then there, there's a couple others like, okay, this one is, is future. You know, sometimes our concern about the future, wanting to know what tomorrow will hold and not knowing what tomorrow will hold can make us feel uh, weighed down and burdened. And then there's several others like, uh, oh, anybody, don't answer this question. Anybody have job stress? Don't answer that question, uh, Brian. No, but job stress. Sometimes, anybody ever have a bad boss? You know, sometimes a bad boss can just create this all kinds of incredible uh, job stress. And what else do I have in my little stress bag here? Oh, <laughs> how about this one? Health. You know, the burden sometimes of health and, and struggling with our health concerns and then add corona on top of that. You know, just not only wondering about how the COVID-19 virus is going to play out, but, you know, how many times have you walked out and said, oh, no, I forgot my mask. I've got to go back in. I've got to get it. You know, just extra things to, to, to think about. There's a few more in here. Oh, my goodness. I don't know why I put this one in the form of a stick. But uh, division in our country. <laughs> Political division, political unrest, division, it can, it can be burdensome. It can be uh, a lot to think about and, and difficult. And there's several more in here, like uh, relationships, family life. You name it, and you start putting them all in the backpack. And after a while, I mean, this backpack has got the normal stuff of life too, right? You know, And then you start adding them all up, and it gets heavy. It gets real heavy. A huge part of our life is answering the question, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with the burdens and the cares and the stresses that come our way? Are we going to try to handle them ourselves? Are we going to try to find some other way to cope with them? Are we going to let them just grind us down for our journey that we have here on planet Earth? Or are we going to do something healthy with them? I mean, what is the life that Jesus is calling us to. Well, today uh, we continue our series called At Jesus, Following the Way of Jesus, and we consider this just extraordinary invitation of our Lord to come to Him, to take our burdens and our cares and release them into His hands. Now, let me just place this message in just a little bit of context for us. The first week we explored how we are able to even see the kingdom of God. Another way to say that is, how are we able to see God at work in our own lives? How are we able to see God at work in the world? Jesus describes this as seeing God's kingdom, God's way and rule. And he says, in order to do this, you have to be born again. 
that it's not about how much scripture you know necessarily. It's not about how many good deeds you do, but you have to be touched. God has to touch your heart from above and you have to be born again. And then when you are, you're able to see the things of God the way God wants you to see them. Last week, Pastor Brian led us in a conversation about repentance. Okay, so the first part of this series is about the salvation grace of Jesus. And, and in order to experience the salvation grace of repentance, we have to also turn and move toward him and turn from our ways. And then today, we take a look at what it looks like to live the life of faith. What does it look like to allow Jesus to take on our cares and our stresses? What does it look like to answer this invitation to come to me. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your, say that word with me if you're in the room, souls. You'll find rest for your souls. Keep that in mind as we journey through today, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What an invitation. Come to me. Now, before Jesus offers this life-giving invitation, though, he first issues the requirement to be a lawyer or a doctor or any lawyer or doctor we want to see. They have to have certain, a certain set of knowledge and pass certain levels of exams and so forth to be a lawyer or a doctor. That's a requirement. To be a viable political candidate, you have to actually get a number of supporters that will sign a petition. Uh, and so you have to have a certain level of popularity and support in order to be a candidate. That's a requirement. To be part of certain organizations, you have to either donate a certain amount of money or, or jump through certain hoops to be a part of that organization. It's a requirement. In order for Major League Baseball teams to be playing next week, they had to win a certain amount of games before next week. My Nationals didn't make it, but we'll be back next year. That was a requirement. It's a requirement to make the playoffs. There's certain requirements. So does Jesus require any of these past success, popularity, certain amount of money, certain amount of knowledge? No, he doesn't. But he does issue a requirement. We have to root around a little bit. Listen to verse 25 again. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things, in other words, the things of God, the kingdom of God, salvation. You've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. He says, God has hidden these things, and there is a requirement involved to be able to see these things. What things? Well, in the text preceding hours, Jesus issued a woe. Let me give you a Bible study hint. Anytime Jesus says woe, pay attention. Because woe, when he issues a woe, it's usually not good for the people he issues the woe to. Jesus denounced the cities in which he performed miracles. He said they witnessed his miracles. In other words, they witnessed the power of God upon him and working through him, and they still did not Repent. Again, back to Pastor Brian's sermon last week. They still did not turn away from sin and self and turn toward God. Imagine seeing Jesus heal the sick. Imagine seeing him feed the multitudes. Imagine seeing him turn water into wine. Imagine seeing him raise the dead. Imagine seeing him do the miracles he performed and still not repent. Maybe it's not so hard for us to imagine. 
Some people see the work of God every day in the lives of God's followers, in the lives of God's church, and they still do not turn to God. Maybe it's not so hard for us to imagine then, is it? So Jesus is saying salvation is at hand. The work of God is at hand, but God has hidden this reality from the wise and the learned and revealed salvation to little children. Now, What does this mean? Does this mean you have to be under the age of seven in order to grasp the life of Jesus? When my kids were little, they watched Barney the Dinosaur. Anybody remember Barney at all? Barney the Dinosaur? It was all the rage. Barney would come on and, you know, matter of fact, one of my kids had a purple Barney cake uh, one year. But one of the... uh, hallmarks of the show is a stupid song. Did you watch Barney growing up? You loved Barney. Do you want to do the Barney? No, no. He would do this stupid song and my kids would go nuts and I would like nails on a chalkboard. It was awful. Kids got it, but adults didn't. Is this what Jesus means here? Jesus is like Barney just for little kids? And that when we grow older, we grow out of Barney. We grow out of Sunday school. I mean, my kids are 26 and 27. They don't ask for Barney cakes anymore. No. The word for little children is best translated as infant or nursing child. In other words, a child that is totally dependent and completely dependent upon their parent. This is a metaphor for being humble and in recognition of our need for God's grace for salvation, right? Being humble and recognizing that we need God for salvation and we need God to carry these burdens, that we can't do it on our own. It's not an assault on our intellect. No, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. St. Paul was one of the greatest philosophers and theologians of history and he told his protege timothy to study 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 okay so it's not an assault on our intellect and we have to remember jesus is speaking firsthand here he's speaking to the rabbis he was rejected or he was speaking to his disciples but he was rejected by the rabbis and those who were learned if you will and he was often received by those who were humble and those who might not have had an opportunity for a formal education. However, uh, William Barclay, the great Scottish biblical scholar, put it really well. He said, simple never means stupid. Wouldn't you agree? Simple never means stupid. Jesus is not condemning intellectual firepower. Jesus is condemning intellectual pride. Let me say that again. Jesus is not condemning intellectual firepower. He's condemning intellectual pride. He's saying those who welcome Jesus are humble, and that's the requirement. That we have to humble our hearts. We have to bow our hearts before him and say that we need him like an infant needs her mother. Francis Collins, I may have shared with you his story before because I always think of him when I think about subjects like this, but he he is the director currently of NIH, probably will go down in history as being most famous for being Tony Fauci's boss, but he was also uh, director of the Human Genome Project. 
Uh, he's a son of Virginia, actually grew up in Stanton, the Shenandoah Valley area. And he is absolutely brilliant. He is one of our country's most foremost scientists. And I once heard him speak, and part of his story is that the, part of his adult life, he completely rejected the idea of God. He completely rejected God because in his world, he, he lived in a world of empirical facts and data. And if, if you couldn't prove it, if you couldn't show uh, your, your work, if you will, and you could show that something was true scientifically, then it had to be fake. Collins is also a medical doctor, and he said his world was rocked when he used to visit with patients, patients of faith who were dying, yet in the face of death, they claimed the sense of hope, and they claimed the sense of peace. And he said he was visiting with this one older lady who was on her deathbed, and yet she, she had this calm and this peace, and he started talking with her, and she just talked about Jesus. And she talked about her relationship with Jesus. And he started to leave the room. And she said, hey, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in Jesus? He said he stumbled and he stammered and he figured a way to leave the room graciously. But he said that question stayed with him. And it stayed with him. And he began pursuing. He began reading. He began talking with a United Methodist minister uh, in the area where he was serving in North Carolina. And he eventually gave his heart to Jesus Christ. He studied all the world religions. He studied deeply. He studied hard. And he finally said, there's one figure that just towers over the rest. And it was Jesus. And he is now a born-again, going back a couple weeks, a born-again Christian, absolutely in love with the Lord. And his mission is to help young people see that that they can actually have a life of faith and a life of intellectual rigor and a life of science and that science actually shows us another language for God. And it's a powerful work and a powerful ministry he has apart from his work as director of the NIH. You see, he humbled himself. He humbled his intellect and he stepped into the invitation of Jesus. That's the requirement that we would be humble and recognize our need. Jesus goes on to talk about this incredible and this stunning relationship in verse 27. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and that no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom he has revealed the Father. Now, in other words, when Jesus says no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son has revealed God, right, what he's talking about is a knowledge that is far deeper and far greater and far more expansive than intellectual knowledge. He's talking about the knowledge of relationship and to know someone in a relationship with them. I know, for example, that Juan Soto exists. I know he does, but I've never met him. And he wouldn't know me from Adam, but I know Brian Hoysa. And I know Brian exists, and I know Brian as a friend. That's the kind of knowledge that Jesus is talking about here. And his claim is stunning. And it's clear. We cannot know God without knowing Jesus. Every search for God, if it is to be successful, will ultimately have to go through Jesus. Oh, we can know attributes of God 
This is called general revelation. We can see that, that there's a higher power, a, a, an intelligent design. When we see creation, we can see that. But to know God and to be able to give God our burdens, to be able to know God in salvation, that search has to go through Jesus. The writer of Hebrews said that Jesus is the exact representation of the being of God. In Jesus, we see and we can know the sin-forgiving, burden-lifting, life-giving God in all his salvation and all his redemptive glory. Because of Jesus, we are reconciled with God and adopted into God's family. And this opens our lives to the promises of God. You'll notice that in the Bible that the promises of God most often come with a premise. So that's another little Bible study tool there. Whenever you see a promise, there's usually a premise. And the premise is typically that we would humble ourselves as a child of God and that we would walk with God in joyful, glad obedience. And as we walk with God in joyful, glad obedience, we experience the fruit and the depth of his promises. It is in the context of this intimate relationship then that we receive the great invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let me talk about the specific context of this passage for a second. It is in light of the Jewish law. The religious leaders have placed the heavy burden of adding extra regulations and restrictions and rituals on the Jewish people. They had sucked all the life out of the, the beautiful law of God, and they were weighing people down over and over and over, many times through. Religion was making them weary, and it was making them leery of the leaders. You know, religious people throughout history have always found a way to try to add extra things onto the, the way of God and the law of God. And these extra laws were keeping people from being able to see God clearly. We have other burdens that weary us, though, don't we? And that keep us from seeing God and experiencing God. As we saw with our, our backpack here, we see burdens that we're, we're all carrying at times. The diagnosis of Dr. Jesus is that we can be a very weary, stressed, and burdened people, can't we? We worry about anything and everything. And this was before the pandemic. We sleep less at night in our country than any other country. Do you know that? We get less sleep than any other country, this one. And we work more hours. We have more stress-related illnesses, doctors report. We are a weary and a stressed out and a burdened people before COVID, before civil unrest, before political divisions. That's just the nature of where we find ourselves now. And then beyond these burdens that we've packed away in the backpack here, we have the sin burden that we can't carry. I mean, we can't carry our sin burden. The Bible says that we all fall short of God's glory. We all fall short of God's design for us. And with the sin burden comes the weight of guilt and regret and pain. And this is a load from God, or excuse me, a load of, from sin that God did not design us to carry. I've said this over and over and over before, is that God did not design us and build us to carry guilt. 
Guilt will break you down. It will weigh you down. Remember when, when Peter the apostle was in the courtyard after Jesus was arrested? And he, he denied Jesus, and, and the, the, the young lady was asking him questions. Do you know him? Do you know him? Is, aren't you one of his? And he denied Jesus three times. Yeah, at the end of the story, at the end of the text, it says, Peter wept and he broke down. Guilt will ultimately break you down. See, this is what the cross of Jesus was all about. A few weeks ago, we celebrated the beautiful grace and that salvation certainly means going to heaven when we die. And salvation means that. That we go to heaven when we die. It is not less than heaven. Salvation is not less than heaven. But it is so much more. And so it's, we often have this short view or this, this limited view that, that being born again or salvation is about going to heaven when we die. It, it is. But it's about life here and life now. When Jesus says, come to, you, come to me, all you who are heavy burdened and, and, and laden with burden, I will give you my rest. He's saying, you can live the life I want for you now. When we take Jesus into the center of our being, we're liberated and set free from the pain and the weight and the burden of guilt and sin. This is a burden that is lifted from us. As the hymn goes, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Now, before we move on, notice to whom this invitation is addressed. Sometimes the biggest words are the littlest words in the Bible, right? Or biggest impact, littlest words. Jesus says, come to me all. A-L-L. Come to me all, you who are weary. All who recognize they are weary and burdened are invited to come to Jesus and trust him. Let me ask you a gentle question this morning. Are you weary and burdened? Do you have burdens, stress, Anxiety in your life that is keeping you from seeing and experiencing the life in Christ that God wants for you. We have this great invitation to come to Jesus and bring Him all of our burdens and He will give us His rest. Now, does this mean that life is easy street the rest of the way? Does this mean that, well, there's nothing else to do? You know, we just... You know, go to heaven when we die. We have Jesus, and, and it's just easy street. I, I don't think that's what it means, does it? No, the invitation of Jesus is what I've labeled for us a great exchange. Jesus says again, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke, he says, upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Notice he didn't say rest for your body. Did he? Stop on that for a minute. Rest for your soul. Was his body rested on the cross? Did the disciples experience their body rest the rest of their journey? Many of them were persecuted. And they worked hard for the mission of the Lord. Was Paul's body at rest when he was beaten and persecuted? Now, he didn't say rest for the body. He said rest for the soul. Now, don't get me wrong. When your soul is at rest, it's easier for your body to rest. 
But he says, rest for your soul. Jesus invites us to take his yoke. Now, what is a yoke? A yoke was used in agriculture. And it was a, a wooden tool that was crafted to fit the neck of a, of a working animal. So Jesus grew up in the home of a carpenter. And so he probably saw Joseph. Maybe he helped Joseph. Maybe he made a few on his own. It's interesting when a yoke was made by a carpenter, he would measure the ox and craft the yoke so it would not injure the neck of the animal when the animal was working. See, a yoke that fits properly will not injure the animal when that animal is at work. When that animal is pursuing the mission for which that animal was created. When we take the yoke of Jesus upon us, it is measured perfectly to fit us as we pursue the life that God wants for us to bring God honor and glory in this world and to advance the mission of Jesus and to lift high the name of Jesus. The yoke fits when the animal is at work. So Jesus says we are to come to Him, lay down our burdens, and take His yoke upon us. It doesn't mean that we leave the cross empty-handed and without something to bear. We bear the cross of our Lord. The promise of Jesus is that we, as we lay down our burdens, can you hardly pick them up? But as we lay down our burdens and we pick up His way, He promises to be yoked together with us as we walk through life and as we take on his cross and as we take on his way he's with us yoked with us and we live and we thrive we bear when we leave the cross we bear the cross to forgive others and he says that is a lighter burden to carry than a grudge we bear the call to love even our enemies that is a lighter burden to carry than hate. We bear the cross to live by grace, not works. This is a much lighter burden to carry than rules and regulations and legalism. We bear the call of mercy. That is a much lighter burden than the, to carry vengeance. We bear the call of generosity. That is a lighter burden to carry than the burden of greed and materialism. And it, we could go on and on and on the way of jesus is lighter we bear his cross we bear his name we bear his way but it's good for us and our soul is at rest that's the rest of jesus salvation for tomorrow and salvation for today don't you want to be yoked up with jesus i love the story of francis collins and the woman who witnessed to him. Because think about it. She was facing death. But she was yoked up with Jesus. And could face it with hope. And with peace. And look how many lives have been touched by her witness. You know, she never knew on her deathbed that she was witnessing to someone who could help others come to faith in the way that Francis Collins has. But look what happened as she was yoked up. With Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I must confess, I've used this verse many times in a funeral service. The image I have 
is of Jesus offering tender words of comfort to a friend. And this is a good image. But it's incomplete, isn't it? For in this great invitation, we not only find a tender friend that cares for our burdens, we also find a picture of a strong, powerful, confident Lord who not only cares for us, but is strong enough to yoke up with us and show us and lead us to His way of living. Tender and powerful. Tender and powerful. That is the Jesus that bids Him, bids us to come to Him. Will you? Will you? Will you take His life as your life? Will you yoke up with Him and follow His way and receive His invitation today? I hope you will. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so grateful for this incredible promise that you give us salvation now. You give our souls, our weary souls, rest now. We know, God, that when we are pursuing life our way, it is burdensome, it is heavy, we can't do it. And eventually, like Peter in the courtyard, we break down. But Lord, when we come to you, and that when we humble ourselves and we recognize our need for you, our need for you to carry us and walk with us, our need for your way instead of our way, oh goodness, we thrive. So I pray for each person in this room today. Lord, I pray for each person watching online. Lord, I pray that they would take their burdens to you. Lord, I also know that that there are times when we, we walk with you, but yet we take our life, we try to take our life back. We try to walk by ourselves, even though we've already claimed you. And so, Lord, hear our prayers and our desires to, to turn, to repent, and trust you once again in a deeper, life-giving way. Thank you, God, for the promise of the life of Jesus. May we take his way. In Jesus' name, amen.